Folks, last week we started this uh, series in the book of Proverbs, and we began by thinking about why God provides us uh, with wisdom, how important it is that we grab a hold of it and avail of it. And the reason it's important is we don't want to stay simple. Uh, We want to receive the wisdom that God offers to us in his word. So today we're getting started properly in this book of Proverbs, and we're going to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Um, uh, might be lost on some of you, but others are. Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. Quick look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. This is where we start. And the truth is, we all need a fresh start and actually lots of fresh starts. And that's why we come to places like this. It's why we gather to hear God's word, to sing his praises, and to pray. It's because we're, we're looking for, for moments with him when we, we take a, a fresh start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning We're going to talk more about the fear of the Lord in just a moment, but let's say for now that it's both a doorway and a pathway. So it's the way in to a new life, and it's the only way to journey for the rest of our lives. Doorway to get us started, pathway to keep us going. This is a posture of the heart that we need to momentarily find and begin with, but then sustain and maintain the rest of our lives. So last week, uh, I'm going to try and take a few moments just to to give us a bit more know-how about the book of Proverbs. Last week, if you remember, we showed where it fits into the whole Bible. Um, These slides are new. We're probably going to use these every time we introduce a series from now on so that we begin to build up a picture of how the Bible fits together and where any book fits into the whole. So Proverbs, if you remember, is from the Old Testament, and it's part of that pale green section in the middle. Uh, Those are called the wisdom books, five of them. Uh, Proverbs is one of those three. Before we dive into Proverbs this morning, I want to now go into Proverbs and show you how the book of Proverbs is structured. First thing we need to know about it is that it's an anthology. That is, it's a collection uh, from more than one writer. Solomon, you'll see there at the start of the book, he's listed as the author in chapter 1, verse 1. That's probably because he contributed the most of the content of the book. And if you were paying attention in Sunday school, you might know that Solomon's the guy in, in the Bible who's known as being wise. He's the go-to wise guy in the Bible. So it's not surprising that you might associate a book like this with Solomon, but he's not the only author. So the book has a number of sections. If you're using, have your Bibles there in your hand, uh, your pew Bibles, and let me show you these sections very quickly. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, is under a heading called the Prologue, the Purpose, and the Theme. That's what the NIV calls it. And it's a section that tells us really what God is going to accomplish in us if we read this book. 
That's where we're going to focus most of our attention today. And then a second section begins at chapter 1, verse 8, under the heading, Exhortations to Embrace Wisdom. That takes us right through the first nine chapters, and it's basically a whole load of poems, and it's a hard sell for wisdom. It motivates us to get into God's wisdom project. Then if you flick to chapter 10, verse 1, here's the next big heading, the Proverbs of Solomon. And this is where the Proverbs themselves actually begin. So the style changes. Everything up until then has been quite long, poetic chunks. And now we're into these short, snappy Proverbs. So right through to chapter 22, verse 16, those are the Solomon Proverbs. And then chapter 22, verse 17, if you have a look, there's the next heading. And it's known there as the 30 sayings of the wise. Another short section begins on chapter 24, verse 23, further sayings of the wise. I was looking carefully through that. I didn't see any stuff that I'd ever said in there. I was kind of disappointed not to be referenced, but hey. um, Solomon then is back in in chapters 25 to 29. Then there's another section on chapter 30 where a guy called Agur comes to the fore. And then the final chapter belongs to King Lemuel. Lemuel. So there's eight sections in this book of Proverbs. Now, the problem is, if we went through that um, sort of chapter by chapter, it would drive us crazy. Because particularly once we get to chapter 9, the Proverbs appear to be quite random. Um, If you you take a moment to, to look, you'll see that there'll be a proverb about money, then there'll be one about laziness, then there'll be one about relationships. Then there'll be another one about money. It, it just seems to flip back and forward. So what we're going to do is, is structure our own engagement with the book of Proverbs a little bit like this. So let me give you an outline of how we're going to preach the book of Proverbs. Our Wise Up series is going to begin with an introduction. Um, that was last week. Today we're going to talk about a second thing, Wise Up, about wisdom. It's really a second part of an introduction. But then by next week, we're going to start picking out some themes. So next week, week three, wise up about words, the importance of our speech, things that we say, the impact that it might have. Then number four, wise up about family, wise up about friendship, wise up about work, wise up about money, about health, about life and death. You'll see there's quite a lot in here. And it's very everyday. This book offers us God's wisdom for our everyday lives. So now that we know where we're going with this series, uh, let's get stuck into this introduction, this prologue very quickly this morning. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, opens the whole book. And it's really made of three sections. There's a title for the book in verse 1. There's some goals for the book in verses 2 to 6. And there's a doorway into the book in verse 7. So we're going to deal with this short passage by answering three questions. 
First question, what's God provided for us in the book of Proverbs? Second question, why did God provide it? And third question, how do I get in? What's God provided? Why did he provide it? How do I get in? So first question, what's God provided for us in this book of Proverbs? We're told, verse 1, he's provided us with the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. We've been talking about Proverbs last Sunday and for a few minutes now, but we haven't actually nailed this down yet. What, what, what is a proverb? What, what are these Proverbs going to be? Well, in our English-speaking culture, and the way we use Proverbs, it's usually some sort of short practical truth that's easy to remember. Look before you leap. A stitch in time saves nine. It reminds me of a game we used to play in the accounting office where we used to take these kind of things and write them on the notice board. And on the next phone call you had with a client, you had to use one of these. No matter how cheesy it was, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss. You had to throw that into a, you were dealing with somebody's tax affairs or something. And we, we enjoyed it, and I got to know some of the proverbs. Um, don't encourage that, but anyway... What's a biblical proverb? It's a little bit different, actually. The Hebrew noun proverb is related to a verb which means to represent or to be like. So these proverbs represent and are like particular aspects of real life. So whenever the, we're given a proverb, we're given like a verbal painting of some part of our daily lives. And if we pick up these proverbs, and if we mull them over, if we turn them over in our minds, if we look at them from a number of different angles, they begin to help us think better about how we live our everyday lives. You could think of a biblical proverb in this way. Whenever the Wright brothers first set about flying uh, their plane in 1903, they didn't just jump into a plane, turn the ignition key, I'm sure it didn't have an ignition key, but whatever they did, they didn't just jump in and do that without having some sense that it was going to work. So what had they done before that? Well, before that, they'd created, I guess we'd call them test conditions or laboratory conditions. They had a wind tunnel. They tested the shape of wings to see which would give an uplift, and it was only after they'd done this sort of experimentation that they were willing to risk their lives in this contraption that they thought might fly. Folks, that's what proverbs are like. We can explore a real-life situation before we're in it. We can have almost like a, a laboratory set of conditions to test, drive, our behavior and the kinds of responses we might get before we dive in to real life. So this biblical wisdom, I've said it before, it's God's wisdom preparing us for real life. But there's a second aspect to this what question. What is it that God's providing for us? And it's the where does it come from? What's the source of it? Again, the answer is in verse 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. 
Whenever we read Proverbs, you're going to find it's not a book of the Bible that talks a lot about God, about Israel, about the great figures, uh, Moses, Abraham. None of that gets very much of a mention. It's, It's very much just about everyday life. And that absence of the mention of God and of Israel has led some commentators to say, well, it's just good common sense wisdom. You know, you don't need to know or be interested, or to ask for the help of God to access this wisdom. Just read it. It's just good common sense stuff. Anybody could be wise or grow wiser by reading this book. That's what some of the scholars say, but they're wrong. Because these proverbs are the proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Ask any kid about Solomon. What do you know about Solomon? He's wise, the wisest guy who ever lived. What made Solomon wise? God appeared to Solomon in a dream and he said to him, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And he said, give me wisdom and understanding so that I can lead your people. So this wisdom is the wisdom that God gave to Solomon and to others who walked with God in a similar posture. This isn't just any old everyday common sense. This is the wisdom of God given to his people. So our first question, what's God providing? He's providing us with his very own wisdom for everyday life. Our second question, why did God provide this wisdom? God has two goals for us in the book of Proverbs, and we see them both in verse 2. If you Have a wee look at verse 2 with me. Part 1 of verse 2, we're told that these Proverbs are for attaining wisdom and discipline. Let's call that deep character. When you talk about a type of wisdom that's also disciplined, it's about somewhere about character. And look at part 2 of verse 2. These Proverbs are for understanding words of insight. So that's, that's about thinking well, isn't it? Understanding messages that we receive, words of insight. Deep character and straight thinking. Let's think quickly about the deep character. True wisdom, I'm sure I said this last week, it's more than brains, isn't it? All of us have met people who have brains to burn but have no wit at all. I'm I'm trying not to look at anybody, catch anybody's eye. But it's true. Brains, wisdom, they're not exactly the same thing. Wisdom's something about a skill, an expertise in living life well. Understanding how life really works, knowing how to achieve success and even beauty. A wise life's a beautiful thing. Now, if that's true, and wisdom's so desirable, then why isn't everybody hungry for it? Why didn't we have to sell tickets for this morning's service? 
Why didn't we have a queue outside the door? You know, here's a place where we're trying to learn the wisdom of God. Why wouldn't everybody be clamoring to be a part of it? Why is this so rare? It's because of the other word there in verse 2. That opening line of verse 2, the word discipline. Discipline's not popular. We're not born wise. None of us is. And it's a hard road discipline. And we've got to be open to God and his instruction and his discipline. And we don't like that. It's humiliating. I see it in our kids when we try to tell them something, anything. I already knew that. And I'm laughing at the kids, but I'm thinking, goodness, that's me to the core. I already knew that. Don't tell me that. Don't try to tell me anything. We're laughing because we identify with that, but if think about it for a second. If that's the posture of our heart, how are we going to get anywhere with Proverbs? God says there's stuff you don't know. There's ways in which you are foolish. We need to admit that. And we need to be open to God's discipline. The great thing is, once we, once we can make that step and say, okay, I, I could learn, I could grow, then it's lovely to see how wide the welcome is. Look at verse 4. It's the simple and the young in verse 4. And you're thinking, yeah, that's great. They can learn and they can grow. But also the wise and discerning, verse 5. That means if, if you're not wise or smart, you can start. But even if you're somewhat wise and smart and you've learned some things, you can grow. Every day can be a school day for the rest of your life. You don't have to stagnate. You can grow and grow and grow and become a a wonderful person under God. So that's good character. That's God's first purpose in this this, uh, wisdom. The second is straight thinking. Look again at the second half of verse 2. God has given us the Proverbs for understanding words of insight. And verse 6 tells us more about this straight thinking. God's purpose is to help us to understand Proverbs, the saying, and the riddles of the wise. So in his commentary, Ray Ortland says that we should look at it this way. I love this. He says, as we come to the book of Proverbs, we're approaching a community of wisdom A group of people standing around talking together. Men and women who are Yoda smart. We beginners sidle up to this circle of amazing people. We see, and there in the circle of the wise is Solomon and Isaiah and Paul and Augustine and Luther and others. We start listening to the conversation going on inside that circle. We overhear words and concepts that we don't understand at first. So we have to stick with it to catch on. But as we begin to leave behind our shallow, trivialized worldviews, we begin to grow. As we listen to the wise, we begin to wise up. We, even we, can become profound people too. 
And so we've answered the question, why has God provided this wisdom for us? So that we might grow in deep character and in straight thinking, that we might become wise. Folks, I'm asking you in week two of a 10-week series about wisdom, have you hit the switch yet? The desire switch? Do you want to be wiser than you are now? You can be. Because God offers his wisdom to each one of us. Third question, how could we? How could we actually become wise? Well, that takes us um, to our, our last question this morning. How do I get in? And it leads us right to the, the final verse of our passage, Proverbs 1, verse 7. This isn't just the theme verse, really, for this sermon. It's a theme verse for the whole book of Proverbs. I, I should probably have organized us for this. We should have a memory verse for every Bible series that we preach some sort of a hook to hang the whole thing on. Well, this is it. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. What's the fear of the Lord? Doesn't sound very appetizing, does it, in 2015? Is that a cringing before God? Is that a permanent guilt? Oh no, here comes God. What's he going to do to me today? The fear of the Lord is something else. And we're going to let the text tell us what it is. Whenever, we'll see this more once we get into the Proverbs, they're written quite often or mostly in two-line structure. There are probably some... English teachers here and there, they'll tell me at the door on the way out everything that I get wrong in this next couple of minutes. But bear with me. Very low-level literature analysis. They're written in two-line structure, and quite often line two helps you understand line one. The ways in which line one and line two relate are not always the same, so I can't, I can't tell you they're always related in the same way. But in verse seven, line two is related to line one. And it helps us to understand line one. Let's, let's see if we can work out what it is. Line one tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And line two tells us about fools who despise wisdom and discipline. So it looks like the relationship there is one of contrast. A wise person fears the Lord, whatever that is. And a fool despises wisdom and discipline. That word despise is quite powerful in there and strong, isn't it? Very emotive, emotional kind of a word. Whenever we despise something, it means we we hate it. We're aloof from it and we distance ourselves from it. So the writer is describing a person here who has that relationship with wisdom. A bit like me as I was describing myself a moment ago. A person who's a know-all, who's above learning, who's a smart-ass, might be a gifted person, but this person doesn't feel of any need of God. 
or of God's wisdom in their lives or of God's moral cleansing. That's the fool. The person who stands in contrast to the person who fears the Lord. So if that's the case, what then is fear of the Lord? Well, it's the opposite of that despising person. It means to be open to God. To be hungry to receive from him and to learn from him. A person who fears the Lord doesn't see God's word as some sort of list of do's and don'ts that are going to ruin their life. They're like the the psalmist who says, "It's, it's honey to me, it's life to me. Give me more, teach me how to live. What we're describing here is a a beautiful thing, but it can be a very painful thing to grow in the fear of the Lord. Because before there's any life in it, it means a whole lot of death. It means death to my narcissistic ego, where life's all about me and where I hold myself at the center of everything. It means death to my self-assured opinions. It means death to myself so that I can rise to a newness of life of paying attention to Jesus Christ, the risen wisdom of God. It's interesting, but our last sermon before this series, Sam shared an illustration at our children's day service about the vine and the branches, and it's a very good, a very good backdrop to everything we're talking about here. Have I really begun to understand that Jesus Christ is the vine and that I'm a branch, and that without him, I'm like that shriveled thing that Sam held up? Do you remember he had cut a branch off a vine And within a week, it was already nothing. Separate yourself from Jesus Christ, from his wisdom, and you're a fool. That's one of the ways in which you live a death. You're separated from the wisdom of God when you're separated from Jesus Christ. So wise people, this fear of the Lord, what is it? It's a humble reverence for God. It's a saying, Lord, you... You don't know just a little bit more than me. I haven't a clue. And you know it all. And I'd love to learn some from you. This fear of the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis uses the voice of Mr. Beaver uh, to give us an unforgettable image, I think, of of the fear of the Lord. If you remember uh, the story, you'll know that Mr. Beaver welcomes the children. He, he meets with them early in their days in Narnia. And he starts to tell them about Aslan, this lion who's a king of the country. And the kids are, can't work that out. How can a lion be a king? And, and one of the questions they ask is whether this king's safe. You know, he's a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. 
but he's good. And he's the king. Have you ever got that yet? This fear of the Lord. Do you know this God who's so terribly unsafe and yet so utterly good? Have you experienced that freedom of humbling yourself before Jesus Christ? Not despising him, not standing aloof from him, but bowing before him and loving him. It's, it's not degrading, not one little bit. It's profound, and it's the gate to life and to wisdom. Do you want to walk through that gate today? Enter into the fear of the Lord to begin to grow in wisdom? You can. And here's how. You can look at the cross of Jesus Christ and you'll see the one wisest man who ever lived hanging there. And you'll see him dying for fools like me and like you. And you'll see him there because he loves us. We might despise him, keep ourselves aloof from him, but he doesn't despise us. We might think ourselves above him, but he came and he humbled himself lower than the lowest of us. Look at him. Don't look at yourself. Look at him until your heart melts. And then you'll begin to worship. And you'll enter into the fear of the Lord. And you'll start to grow wise. Let's pray. Father God, we thought that being wise was something to do with passing our AQE and getting to a grammar school and going to university and doing continued professional learning or development. But you say it might be something different than that. Lord, you say we might have all of that and still be fools. Lord, we don't want to be fools. We want to be wise. We want to live life the best we possibly can because our posture is right before you and we've opened ourselves to your wisdom in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today to take the first step to humble ourselves before you to hit the desire switch and to say, yes, I want to grow wise. I want to enter into the life Jesus offers. Lord, I pray you'd help each one of us do that today. Amen.